Okay, we're learning that from Ches, starting a few lines down where it says, So we're discussing how a chasen uh, has, has to support his wife, give her sustenance, and Mizonas has turned as soon as it's Hagazman, as soon as the time has come for him to marry her, then he has to support her and give her sustenance even before he, technically she's in Asua. At that point, the missionary showed a hell, she can also eat Truma. Midaraisi, she eats in Arusa, Midarabana, they said she needs Nisuin, but they said originally that after Hagazman already at that point, even though she's still living by her father's house, he can give her Truma. So the question was, how much Truma does she get? So Reptarfin says he can give her all Truma. All the food would be Truma. Rabbi Akiva says, no. Only half of it should be truma, the rest should be chulin. So what's the pshat over here? So let's just back up. If a person becomes tame, they're not allowed to eat truma. So what happens if all of your food is truma? Then it's going to be expected upon you. If you get a tuma situation, you got to switch out of it. You're going to have to exchange some of the tuma, some of the truma for chulin and make sure you get chulin. So basically the machlokas is, how much do we trust this girl to do it properly? So Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva was saying, don't give her more than half truma because what's she going to eat when she's tame? You got to make sure that she has chulin set aside. Whereas Reptarfin is saying she'll figure it out, she'll go exchange it and find Kulin. So the Gemara explains. Amar by Machogas Vasko and the Kohen. Machogas is a Kohen's daughter who's betrothed to a Kohen. So since she's a Kohen's daughter, she kind of knows what in the world she's doing to begin with. However, Ravas is Sral the Kohen, but if it's Yisrael's daughter who's betrothed to a Kohen. So this is her first like, new experience with eating Truma. Everybody agrees, don't give her fully Truma. Why? So the Cohen's daughter, she, she knows. She knows how to protect Truma from Tuma. She knows that at certain times you got to sell it. You got to exchange it. She knows where the market is. She knows the process. She always sees her father doing that growing up. But a, a regular Israel's daughter, she's not familiar. So since she's not familiar, she has to be given Hulin uh, in order to make sure that she has what to eat properly on days when she is dumping. Continues the Gemara from Amar by Machlokas by Arusa. Machlokas only applies to an Arusa, meaning she's an Arusa living in her father's house. And, 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 and even if she's a Cohen's daughter, but if it's a, if it's a situation, as we said, a Cohen's daughter, but if it's a situation where she's a rooster, she's still around her father. So what's going to happen? Her father will help her out to exchange the, the truma for Hulin if she becomes Tama. If she's in a Sua, everybody agrees that the food that she should be given shouldn't be more than half truma. Why? What's the distinction? Let's say you have an Asua for whatever reason whose husband is not around with her. And there, there could be such a situation. You could have a situation where the husband just sends her food and she's kind of living on her own. You know, sometimes you see marriages like that. We're married 100%, but everybody has their own kind of living, you know, or eating quarters. So the husband's sending her food. In that scenario, if she's a married woman, not around her father's house, just living kind of on her own, then he should not send her fully trim. Why? Because she doesn't really know. It'd be inappropriate for her to go ahead and exchange the food all by herself. She's a married woman. She's going to go out in the market and do it all by herself. So if she's by her father's house, or if it's a regular scenario marriage, the man will take care of it. But uh, if it's a scenario where she's already in a sewer and she's just being sent food to her private eating quarters, so then it shouldn't, she shouldn't be sent more than half truma. The other half should be chulin because it would be inappropriate for her to be busy exchanging uh, truma if she became tame in, into chulin. So basically, Abai is qualifying our Mishnah in two ways. The machlok is only Baskoin Lakoin, and also it's only by Arusa. But if it's a Basisra Lakoin, or even if it's a Baskoin, but it's in a sewer, in either of those cases, everybody agrees it shouldn't be more than half, shouldn't be more than half truma. Says the Tanya Damahalk, it says in a price like this as well. Same qualifications. Tafrin says we give her full, all of it could be truma. Rekiva says mesochulin, mesotruma, only half of it could be truma, the rest has to be chulin. However, when does this apply? That's Kohen, the Kohen. Only a Kohen's daughter who is betrothed to a Kohen. Abba Basisra, la Kohen. But if it's a Basisra, to a Kohen, different Kohen, Basisra, la Kohen. 
or she's not accustomed to it, the, the family's not accustomed to taking truma and switching it for hula, and then everybody agrees only half of it can be truma. And a second qualification of Metabar Mumurim, when does it apply? Even if it's a Basko and the Kohen, it's only Barbusa, where, where her father can help her exchange it. Abel Benesu, if she's married and she's being sent sustenance to her private quarters, they become Masra Hulu and Masra Truma. So exactly the Abai's two qualifications are found in the Brisa. Okay, great. So, so far we've had two opinions about how much Truma you send. This Basko and the Kohen who's in Arisa. Either or Tarifun, you can send her all Truma, and if she needs something, her father will help her out and exchange it into Hulu if she becomes Dame. And uh, Rabbi Akiva, who says that it shouldn't be more than half. Now we get a third opinion. It should be given two parts truma and one part chulin. So meaning to say two thirds truma, one third chulin. What's the point? We agree with Rabbi Kiva's premise that she needs some chulin when she's Talmud, but he disagrees with the proportion. I mean, think about it, right? How often does a person become Talmud? Probably not half the time. So it's enough that she has a third of it to be chulin. That's the idea. He agrees that it's com- too complicated for her to be switching the truma into chulin and when she becomes tamay, she needs some chulin in, 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 in her resources. But uh, a, a third chulin would suffice for that. So that's a third opinion, a fourth opinion. He gives her all truma. And she'll sell it and buy chulin with the money. So what's he saying? It sounds like Rebuda and Ratafran are saying the same thing, that they can be given only truma. But the difference is that, let's just think a little economics here. There's less demand there for, for truma than there is for hulin. Why is that? Because less people are allowed to eat truma than eat hulin. Therefore, the price of hulin is worth more, it's higher than the price of truma. So when you go to exchange truma for hulin, the truth is you're not going to get the same amount. If you have five apples that are truma, you can't get five hulin apples for them. Maybe you'll get whatever it is, four apples. So Rabbi just said, you give it all to her, whatever amount she should get in Truma. And then what happens if she has to exchange it? She has to exchange it. Ah, she's going to end up with a little bit less of Hulin food. So be it. That's where Rabbi Tarifun. says, you have to supply her with enough Truma that if it would be exchanged into Hulin, she would have that amount of food that she's supposed to get in Hulin. So the Nafkamina is that according to Rabbi Yudah, he's giving her more Truma. Even though all our food is coming from Truma, he agrees in that fundamental with Rabbi But the specific amount of it has to be a little bit of an extra that the amount that might hypothetically be exchanged to then go get Hulin has to be equal now in an amount that would get you the, the, the amount that she deserves in Hulin. And then a fifth opinion, whenever it mentions that she's given Shrima, she has to be given double what she would receive in Hulin. So, so let's say she has to, if, he, if he owes her one cob and he's giving her Shrima, he has to give two cob. So what's the point? Rav Gamliel is saying, we're not going to make her go through a tircha to sell her truma at the regular price. She should make it, it should be like so easy for her. She should have literally half the price. It's going to be so low. Even for truma, it's low. So low, she could literally charge the half that it's going to attract customers and make it so easy for her to do it. In other words, it can't be a big deal to get this process of exchange. You have to make it so easy for her. I don't make it so easy for her. I give her so much truma that she's able to charge such a low price that even for truma it's so low that there's enough buyers in demand that it makes it you know, a relatively easy process for her to exchange it into the chuba. All right, so those are five opinions here. And the Gemara says, my benat, what's the practical difference between Shemuel Gamliel and Rabbi Yehuda? Both are being sensitive to make it easy for her to sell. The answer is, the nafkamina is the effort involved in, sell, in selling the truma. Shemuel Gamliel is not only concerned that she ends up with the same requisite amount of hulin, but he's also concerned specifically for the effort. He wants to make sure that it's not, not a big deal uh, to make that happen. So let's make one little quick summary. How much truma does the kala get? Okay, and the question basically is, if she becomes tamay, then she can't eat it, so she have to exchange it into hulin. So how much do we give her for this? So Reptarfim just says, you give her all truma, no big deal, she'll exchange it 
um, she'll exchange it if she becomes Tame. Rabbi Akiva says half. Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra says two-thirds Truma, one-third Hulin. Rabbi Yudah says, Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel both fundamentally agree with Rabbi Tarifun that it's all Truma, but they make two nuances. Rabbi Yudah's nuance is that it should be enough extra Truma that if the, she can incur the loss of price when she's exchanging it and getting less Hulin, but she still has enough food. Shimon Gamliel is saying that it has to be so easy to exchange it that she can sell it at such a low rate. So he's getting that she has to be given a lot more extra Truma, double the amount, so that the price will be so low in her exchange, it won't be a big deal. Alright. Yavam doesn't give his Yavama the right to eat Truma. So Pasha Shai, what are we talking about? We're talking about a bride. She was, she, was, she was in Arusa. She was a bride to a husband. Her husband died before the wedding and before that Gazma. So she wasn't yet eating sustenance from her husband. And now she's falling to Yibam, to the Yavam. So we're saying that before the Yavam does Yibam, she can't eat Truma. Alright, the Yavam's power of waiting to do Yibam is not like fully taking over what his brother had. My time, a Kenyan Kaspa, Marachmana. The Torah says the Kenyan Kaspa. That's the idea. The acquisition of the money. So it's only the Kohen's own acquisition that can eat Truma. By Kenyan Da'achim. But this woman, the Yavama, is a Kenyan Da'achim. It's the acquisition of his brother, not the Yavam's own acquisition. So therefore, he doesn't give her the right to eat Truma. Now that's only Pashas, most Rishonim say, clearly, only until he does Yavam. Once he does Yavam, then she becomes a regular wife. Then she can eat Truma. But we're saying, in terms of what's automatically left to him in the Zika, that's not his own Kenyan. That's a Kenyan of his brother. And therefore, out of that Kenyan, she cannot eat Truma. And the Mishnah then illustrated that. That even if she had done, let's say, six months by her husband, and now six months by the Yavam, she can't eat. And then the Mishnah sped more. Let's say it was 11 months and 29 days by the husband. And just even she just was missing one day. And she does that by the Yavam, not. And then the Mishnah said, even one case. Even if she did one day by the husband and all the rest of the days by the Yavam. So the says, Hashem, if they have Amr low, even where she spent almost all of the days of the 12 months before the husband, you still say she can't eat Truma. Then Yavim, So if most of the days are spent before the, before the Yavim, is it necessary to say that the same halacha is there? Meaning, obviously, it's a kol shekin. Ma, in a case where she's almost all in front of the husband, we still say she can't eat if it wasn't complete. So kol shekin, if it was all in front of the Yavim. So the Gemara concedes the style of the Mishnah is just this, and it's not even necessary to say that. So really, you're right. The bigger Kiddush is what was said first, not what was said second. So bottom line is, if she was 12 months in front of the husband and then she was given a right to eat truma, okay, she's given a right to eat truma. But if she didn't get that 12, those 12 months, she's missing even one day and then she falls to Yibam, she cannot eat truma. Okay, that was all Zoom Mishnah Rishona. The original understanding of the Mishnah was that Hagaz Man, you get your food and you get your truma as well. You don't need to go to the Chuppah. It comes along the Mishnah Corona, the later Mishnah, and the Mishnah said, no. A woman cannot eat truma until she goes to the chuppah. It's not enough that it's hagoas hazman, that the time has, 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 has come, that it's the time for the wedding. Until she actually enters the chuppah, she cannot eat. So the Gemara says, my time, what is the reason? And the question is that we still have a chashash of the simpon. The simpon is, again, about the investigations, investigating, examining her body to make sure that there's no movement. And until she actually goes ahead with the chuppah, so we're saying that there's still the concern for Simpon. Agalazman, even it's the time for the wedding. So Lamaisa, they didn't do the, 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 the examinations until the chuppah. So therefore, we're still concerned. So now, if that's true, so what was the first mission thinking, right? What, what, what was the mission Rishona thinking? So the Gemara speaks out. We had two reasons yesterday why you have to wait. Ula's reason was because she might feed her family. And then the second reason here is the Simpon that might be retroactively annulled if she found to has a blemish. So that's exactly what switched. Originally, we thought the only concern is that she was going to feed her family. 
So therefore, was Motafriti Truma at the end of 12 months when that concern is not there. As we spoke out yesterday, once the husband's sending her food, he makes sure that she's eating alone. Why? He doesn't want her sharing any of the food with her family because he doesn't want to pay for any extra food. So he says, yeah, I'll send you food, but make sure you eat privately. So then there's no chashash that she's going to feed Truma to her family. That's what the original mission held. The whole issue is why Narusa doesn't eat is because she might feed her family. Once it's like, oh, it's mine, she's eating alone. When she's eating alone, she can eat truma. Comes along, that's right. So it comes along the Mishnah, and it says, oh, let's add the second possibility of the retroactive nullification of the marriage, which might come because there might be a mum. So, so that's why we switch and we say, no, until the chuppah, she can't eat. That's exactly the switch between the two Mishnahs. El Arab Shmuel Bar Yehuda, Shmuel Bar Yehuda, who said, they come Maisa, Mishum Simpon, Ubas Raisa, Mishum Simpon, Mabinai. He held that the whole issue was only Simpon. So what was the switch? Originally, what did we hold? And then what did we switch to hold? What is the issue of Simpon? What did we originally think that it would go away by the time the wedding date was set? And then we said, no, it won't go away until the actual chuppah. What may car Microsoft so Microsoft? What switch? So the question is a superficial examination. In other words, his female relatives, not himself, are going to investigate her body when the time of the wedding comes. But the question is, how good of a job they're going to do? Is that, okay, if they look and they investigate superficially, then we're guaranteed, or at least pretty sure, that she has no moment where we say no until he actually does a full badika, then it's not effective. Marsava, originally the first court, the Mishnah Rishon held badika, even if it's superficial, it's also considered effective. So therefore, as soon as the time is set, for the wedding, the female relatives already I've already examined her, and we can rely on that. There's not going to be retroactively annulled. The Maj Savar, the later court, came along and switched. No, superficial examination is not good enough. Since it's not good enough, so we need more. We need an actual Nisuin. We need Knisal Chopa when we, there's going to be more of a thorough examination, which is that. So we come out, Narusa Midaraisi eats Truma. Midarabanon, they don't. What was the reason for the Midarabanon? The missionary Shona, Machlokas. Either it was because she might feed her family because of Simpon. What switched in the Mishnah Akrona that she can't eat until she eats the Chopa? Here, definitely everybody agrees it's the Simpon issue. Continues the mission. Here we go. Hamatish Masay. Yeah. When we learned the whole thing, we were going to know you should go to Pace and the Lexi. Mm hmm. So, like, it never brought up this whole Simpon thing. Now, mm hmm. Right. Right, right, right. We learned about that when a husband first gets married, he should marry on a Wednesday in case she's not a basula, in case she's ba'ula. We want him to go to court to determine whether or not she was Mizana when she was in Arusa. Um, Simpon is a little bit different in the idea that he's going to feel, he's going to feel tricked. Mekatos, he was never married. I think the difference is that the Simpon retroactively annuls the marriage. Like she wouldn't need to get, for example. Um, whereas if she's Mizana when she's in Arusa, it doesn't annul the marriage. And he's just ushered to her, and we want the basin to enforce that. I think that's the key difference. In other words, the chashash and base, why we wanted to go to the court is because this woman, has, if she, Taka is a, a, a ba'ula, we're concerned that she was a sota under him while she was in Arusa, which means that he's forbidden to her, and we want that to be found out. That's why we're going to the court. All right. Says the Mishnah, So we spoke about the idea that the earnings of a woman go to her husband. And why is that? Because he supports her, right? It's a two-way street. He supports her, she gives him her earnings. Just a little bit more of Akdama, then that there's a certain expectation about how much a woman should make. And the Mishnah says later on, it's five slum of some sort of thread per week. Um, and that's the amount that she has to supply. And, and can I get that? Again, he, there, there's the idea that he feeds her. There's also another thing where there's like excess, more earnings, earnings that are more than that. So he gives her like an allowance called a ma'akesa per week, spending money, free allowance. And then he, she can give him 
the malakas, and, and she will give him any extra amount of, of money. So it's basically like this. There's a base amount of, of, mon- of money that wages that she owns, the five, the five, um, the five slum of thread a week. That's for sustenance. And then there's also extra amount that uh, she, might, she might give. And can I get that? He gives her an allowance. That's the basic, I guess, introduction to our Mishnah. So now the Mishnah says, what if a husband consecrates the earnings? Meaning he says, whatever the earnings are, the earnings that are mine, that my wife has to give to me, I'm making those hektish. I'm donating those to the base of hektish. She can, nevertheless, she can work and eat, meaning she can support herself with her proceeds. Meaning the point that we're saying are they don't become kadosh. So the question is, why not? Right? They belong to the husband. So if they belong to the husband, then why can't he be makdash them? What's the pshat? She's keeping her earnings and sustaining herself. What in the world is going on? So we'll have to see in the Gemara. Hamosar, if, if he consecrates the extra, meaning here he's not consecrating the base amount, but he's consecrating what's, 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 what's done extra. Again, more than the five slum per week. From there, Omer Hektish, so it becomes Kaddish. It becomes Kaddish. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see exactly when it becomes Kaddish, but it becomes Kaddish. No, it remains not consecrated, and we'll have to see what in the world the Machlokas here is about. So first, leave aside the Mishnah for a bit, and we're going to have a discussion, and then eventually we'll come back to the Mishnah. Omer Avuna Omer Rav. A woman is allowed to say to her husband, that I don't want to be supported, and I'm not going to work. What do, you, what do we mean? What's going on here? We know that a husband supports his wife and she gives him her earnings, right? That's the, that's the two-way street. But what, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Meaning, what's the point? Is the point that he sustains her and therefore, because he sustains her, she gives her her earnings. So really, primarily, it's her right to get the support and just that once we're doing that, the rabbi said, give him her earnings. Or is it fakir? There's a din, she gives him her earnings and therefore, the rabbi said, the husband should give her food. Now, the big difference is, who has the upper hand over here? Rafuna is saying that the woman has the upper hand. The woman can say, you know what? Don't give me your support. I'm going to keep my earnings for myself. Clearly, the idea is that he holds the whole thing is the chicken here and then the egg is really a husband is supposed to support his wife. That's a, it's made for the benefit of the wife. Can I get that? They said the wife, if she's taking the, the, the mizonos, should give her earnings to her husband. So Rafuna Marav says, so if she wants to say, you know what? Don't do me any favors. Don't do me any favors. Don't give me sustenance. I'll support myself, but make sure, and then can I get that? I therefore have no reason to have to give you my earnings. Rav says she could do that. And the Gemara explains, the main thing, the whole catalyst for it is the support. That's the primary purpose, that a husband should support his wife. The only reason they said that her earnings go to her husband is that her husband, right, he's not going to resent the fact that he's giving her all these free food and getting nothing out of it. But the primary point is simple, is simply that he should give her the food. Therefore, if she wants, since it's all for her, if she wants to say, I'm not going to be supported, I'm not going to work, her should be other. That's within her rights. Because if they're up on a takana for your benefit, then the beneficiary of the takana has the right to waive it, has the right to say, you know what, I don't want the takana. So since in this, this perspective of Hunamara, the benefit, the real acre benefit is for the woman to get Mizonos, she and just connected that once she's getting it, they said, Mishum Eva, give your earnings to the husband. So she could say, I have no interest in being supported, and therefore I'm gonna keep my earnings. She has the right to do that. Fractigamar, is that really true? It says in a price, it says the support for a wife is exchange, is an exchange for her earnings. So that sounds like Really, her earnings go to the husband. In exchange for that, they said, give, 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 give the sustenance to the wife. So it's the exact opposite. Says the Gemara, Ema, what the price really means is, tachas we flip it around a little bit, that the husband receives her earnings in exchange for the support she receives from him. Says the Gemara, support from the Mishnah. 
What did our Mishnah say? Somebody is consecrating his wife's earnings. What do we say? She's keeping the earnings and she's using them. Meaning it doesn't become hectic. She actually keeps them and uses them. What's pshat? My love Presumably the case we're discussing a case where the husband is capable of supporting her. It's not that the husband is incapable. He's capable. But you know what must have happened? The woman must have said, don't do me any favors. I don't want your sustenance and I'll keep my earnings. And now in such a case, if, if he would be mocked as her earnings, they're not his, they're hers. And so she keeps them and uses them. That's Kufa with mission, but it must be referring to such a case. If you would say not like Ravuna Maram, then in every case, automatically the earnings are the husband's. So what in the world is the mission saying that when he's mocked them, oh, she uses them. Why? They're his. Teretz must be, no. The mission is referring to a case where she's refusing the sustenance. She doesn't want it because she says, I'll take my earnings and, and be sustained by myself. And that's what the mission is saying then. Then the Maisa Yadaim in that case are hers. And that's why if he's mocked them, she just uses them regularly. We could defend that the Mishnah is talking about a case where the husband was too poor to, to support her. So the husband wasn't supporting her. If the husband was not supporting her, so then obviously she's going to keep her earnings. Meaning really, the Iker Takana is that the earnings go to the husband, can I get to give his But Lamaisa, if he's not able to give the support, then in that case, if he doesn't have the means to support her, then he's not entitled to her earnings, and therefore his consecration doesn't have, doesn't have an effect. But if he is of the means and he can give her support, then automatically the earnings would go to him and she has no right to give them for herself. All right. Says the Gemara, come on, we can't say that that's the case. What did we just say? That the whole case of the Mishnah is that the husband wasn't able to give support. And that's why she was keeping her earnings. What kind of chiddush is that? If he's not giving her any support, then obviously he's not entitled to her earnings. That's farm shooting. Why? Because what would that mean? I'm not going to give you food and I'm going to keep your earnings? That's such a jerk move, right? The truth is, it's a dispute if you can even say that to your slave. Can you tell your slave, I'm not, you work for me, give me everything you own and I'm not going to feed you? It's a dispute. But even if you could, that's only for a slave. It doesn't say it should be good with you. You don't have to have an obligation to make his life good. Let's say you have a Hebrew slave. He's a slave with you, meaning you have to treat him properly. Lo, for sure, a Hebrew slave you have to feed. You can't keep his earnings and not feed him. So, then there's no question that to a wife, you can't not support her and also take her earnings. That's where I'm shooting. The mission wouldn't, that wouldn't be a chiddush. If the case of the mission is that the man doesn't have the means to support her, he's not supporting her, and he wants to take her earnings, that's ridiculous. Obviously, the earnings are hers in that case, and therefore, if he's mocked shit, it's ineffective. The mission wouldn't have to be talking about such a case. So therefore, what? LMI, he does have the means to support her. And it must be the mission is talking about, but still, she, she was refusing it. And she was saying, you know what? Let me keep my earnings for myself. And that's what we were referring to. So the proof comes back. So the Gemara, no, really, it's what we said. That the husband wasn't able to consecrate his wife's earnings because he wasn't able to feed her. Aye, what's the Chiddush? Seifah was the end of the Mishnah that was the Chiddush. In the case where Moser, where he was Makdish, the extra earnings of his wife, or Meir, or Hektish, it was that case that we wanted to talk about. We were kind of just setting up that case where we wanted to speak about Remeir, um, saying that the Moser can become Hektish as we're going to analyze further, coming up eventually to understand what the nuance is there when he's Maktish the Moser. But since we wanted to get to that, so we just set it up that if someone's Maktish the basic, the basic Maiseyadai and then it's not Kadosh, and in Achanami, we're only talking about a case where uh, he wasn't able to give her any food. All right. So we came out, Rav Huna said that the woman, the wife is in the driver's seat. She wants to refuse the Mazonas and keep her Maiseyadai and she could. Now we're going to focus on Rameir. Rameir says when a person is maktish, the excess, the excess amount from the base, from the base of, her, of, her, of her wages, what did 
What did Rav Meir say? It becomes Kaddish. Don't tell me Pshan and Rav Meir, Mishnah Kusavar, Adam Matar, Shabbat Shalom, that a person can be Matar something even before its existence. Meaning here, the husband is, is being Matar what? Her earnings. But the earnings are not here. The woman didn't make it yet. He's saying what you will make in the future, the earnings that you will be able to produce, will become Kaddish. But wait a second. You, can you really do that? Can you make in a transaction on something that is not here? So maybe you could say, yeah, that's exactly what Rameir holds. Don't tell me Pshad and Rameir is that he holds Adam Matar, Shabbat Shalom, Olam. That sounds, that's, which, which is a big novelty, don't say that. Since he's able to force her to produce the earnings. It's as if he said to her, your hand should be consecrated to HaKadosh Baruch So meaning to say, Rameir agrees that you can't be makdash the earnings. You're not being makdash the earnings themselves, the earnings don't exist. But he's being makdash her hands with regard to the earnings. And the hands are already in existence. So let's just try to understand that. Right, if I'm Maktish fruits which haven't yet grown, I can't be Maktishem. They're not here, I can't be Maktishem. But if I'm Maktish the tree for the fruits that will grow, then the hektish will be chal. And when the fruits come out, they belong to the treasurer. What's the distinction? Because in one, it's being chal, it's taking effect on something which is not here. I can't be Maktish fruits which don't exist. But if I'm Maktish the tree for the fruits that they produce, so then I may not be Maktish the tree in its own right, but I'm being Maktish the tree for its fruits, and therefore it can take effect. So too here. If the hands belong to me, I could be maktish the hands for the earnings that they will make. The effect is on the hands. Whereas if I don't own the hands and I'm just trying to be maktish straight the earnings, the earnings are not here. I cannot do that. So we're saying shops like this. Remeyer agrees that you can't be maktish the earnings directly. The earnings are not here. But if you hold that you can force her to work, so then you have an ownership over her hands, which is a fascinating like abstract, like the hands are his. And therefore the handiwork that the hands produce can become hectic because I'm being maktish the hands for the earnings that they will make in the future. So that's the pshat, is that in Rav Meir. It's not pshat, he holds all the maktish of all He holds that since he has a right over her hands to force her to work, so it's as if he's being maktish the hands for their work. So therefore, what do we see? We see that the husband can force her. Because if the husband can't force her, then in what way does he own the hands? Yes, it's true, he's entitled to it, but that's only if he gives X, Y, and Z. If she's in the driver's seat, he doesn't own her hands. The idea that he owns her hands is only true if he can force her to work. So it must be <coughs> that Rish Lakish disagreed with Rav Huna. Rav Huna wouldn't say that the husband owns the hands. It must be, and, and in Akhanami, it would be that Rav Huna would have to explain that he's being makdish the earnings directly, and one mayor must hold other makdish davish lebalola. But the Pshad is Rish Lakish must disagree. Rish Lakish is saying Rav Meir agrees in other makdish davish lebalola, but it's like you're being makdish the hands for the work. So he holds the husband must be able to force her to work. Fine. So the Gemara can see that there's a dispute. But Frechtimar, Allah, Amar, Afi. Lamaisi, he didn't say that. He didn't consecrate the hands. He was Matish the earnings. So, like, how does it work? We have to work with what he said. He didn't say, I'm being Matish your hands for their work. He said, I'm being Matish your earnings. So, Lamaisa, what's Pshat? And for the Gemara, Kivan de Shaminan le Remeir. We know Remeir said, A person doesn't say something for nothing. So, what does that mean? So we're talking about the idea of an erechen. You know, erechen is that a person gives a fixed value of a person per what age bracket they are. Less than 30 days old, there's, you're not in the age bracket. So Pastor Pshad is, if I say the erechen of a baby less than 30 days is not me, I'm totally exempt. Rameyer says, yeah, but then your words were for nothing. So we interpret his words, that is, if he meant to say, I'll at least give the monetary slave value assessment of the person. So that's a big chiddush. Rameyer says, if otherwise the person's words would go to waste, we reinterpret them in a way to make them effective, which is fascinating. That's her mayor shita. So, so too here. If he'd be just be makdish her earnings, it would be ineffective because they're not here. So we reinterpret the words in a way to make them effective. We say it's as if he has said, I'm being makdish your hands for their earnings. 
So to hear Nasa Kamar Yidusha Daimelosayim. Okay, very good. So we have in our hands, sorry for that pun, a dispute between Reish Lakish and Ravuna. Ravuna, everybody knows that there's a, there's a reciprocity here, right? She gives him her earnings, he gives her sustenance. But what's the Iker? Who's in the driver's seat? Ravuna, the woman is the Iker. She's entitled to support. Because she gets support, she, she, her earnings go to the husband. Therefore, she can say, I don't want the sustenance and I keep the earnings for herself. For herself. According, to, according to Ravuna, the husband does not really own the hands of his wife. It's not true. According to Ravuna, the safer Ramayr is being makdish. It has to be being makdish. The earnings are Ramayr holds all the makdish. Rish Lakish disagrees. Rish Lakish holds the husband's in the driver's He owns her hands. He forced her to work. And therefore, in the safer, he's understanding Ramayr is not because makdish the earnings, even though they're not here, but rather it's like he's being makdish the hands for the earnings that they're going to make. So now the Gemara's challenge is Rish Lakish is the Ramayr and the makdish of Allah. Um, and I'm sorry, let me just clarify one point in the Chazar before we go by there. And also, it makes a huge difference in the understanding of the ratio. The ratio says if someone's maktish, she keeps it. What's the case? What do you mean? Isn't the earnings belong to the husband? So we have two different ways of understanding. Like Rishlakish, who says that the husband can force his wife to work and their, and their earnings are always his. He has to say that the Mishnah is talking about a case that he wasn't able to support his wife and therefore she was keeping his, her earnings. Whereas Ravuna can say, no, the case is that the woman was in the driver's seat and she said, I have no interest in your sustenance, so I'm as you down on mine. Says the Gemara Vesavarish Lakashin of the Magdal Shabbash Olam, but does Rameir really hold that a person can't consecrate something that's not in existence, that that's why Rish Lakish was turning over the world to say the shot is, it's like he was Makdash her hands? But Tanya says in the Bible, someone says to him, he's Makadish and Nanju. Uh, he is a guy and he's making a Kedushin after he converts, meaning he's giving her the ring now, but it should take effect after he converts. Or Lachashat after you convert. Lachashat after I'm freed from being a slave. Lachashat after you're freed from being a slave. Lachashat after your husband dies. Meaning he's Makadish, a married woman, to take effect after her husband dies. Lachashat after your sister dies. Lachashat after the oven does Chalitza with you. In all these cases, it's Davash Lovalolam because the Kedushin right now is not in existence, meaning. The man and the woman are here, but the condition is not in existence because there's some impediment for them taking effect. So the Tanakama says it doesn't work. Why? Because he holds, you can make a transaction for Davashalobalaola. So we see here, Mayor does hold all the Matthew Shabashalobalaola. So what was Rish Lakish saying? That in the safe or Mayor Omer Hakdash had to be Dafka. It's like he was Matthew's the hands because he could force her to work. Why did he have to say that? We know anyways that Ramir holds that you can make a transaction on Davash Olam, so why not just say he was Makdash Tharanis? What's the big deal? Says the Gemara, Mia he in me all the Very interesting Talmudic answer. Of course Ramir holds other Makdash Olam. That's true. And it's the MS is that it could be that way. Ray Shalkas was just saying, from that what was said in the Mishnah, you don't have the right to infer that. From that Brisa that you just brought, yeah, pretty clear. But from learning the Mishnah, it's not Muchach. From learning the Mishnah, you could have learned that since he could force her, therefore it's as if he has been Makdash her hands. That, that was the whole point of Rish Lakish. And it really, more or less, was just to bring out the Lambdas that he owns her hands. He could force her to work, and therefore you don't need to come out to the Chadash of Makdash. But in truth, it is true that we know from that price, so that Rameir does hold other Makdash.